Man, I want to thank y'all for an excellent first week for the season four premiere of what had happened was myself in a season long interview request love it seems that folks are loving the stories loving the little videos we're putting out on social um if you see any of those you know hit the thumbs up on it spread it around last we left off we were hearing the roots first stage names which was quite the hoot we pick up there this episode and get deeper into the journey of the start of the group as they kind of form busking on the streets of Philadelphia. And then from there, they move into the recording sessions of what will become their first studio album, Organics. Speaking of albums, I got a rap career of my own. I got some tour dates coming up. In December, I'm going to be in Houston, in Dallas, in New Orleans, in New York, in Philly, Boston, D.C., Miami, and Orlando. You can go to MikeEagle.net and find quick access to links for any of those tour dates. If you want to help out the show, there's a couple ways to do that. One, you can use the codes and the ad reads. Another way is you can spread the word to folks that are interested in hip-hop history, interested in the legacy and the story and the context behind the first four Roots albums. Let them know we got this going on over here. And this is part of the Stony Island Audio Network. Home of the Dad Bod Rap Pod, the Fatherhoods Podcast, Creativity and Captivity, the Questions Hip Hop Trivia Podcast, and more. Oh, and one quick note. There's one thing that I see uh, is not very obvious to people in the four seasons of this show. Every season, the beat, the theme song, not this beat I'm talking over right now, but the theme song I'm going to throw it to here momentarily. Every season... The beat for that theme is produced by that season's guest. So I'm privileged to say I got to rap over a Questlove beat. Actually, this is my second time doing that. Um, if anyone can name the first time I did that, I'll give you a, a, an invisible prize. Um, but yeah, each season. So Prince Paul in the first season, he produced that theme. In the second season, LP produced that theme. In the third season, Dante Ross produce that theme and in this season it's quest love we're following suit and we're privileged not only to get the time to spend and, and the minds and insights of these brilliant artists as they recap their own careers we get a little bit of music from them too original stuff you can only find here and what it happened was now with that let's get into episode two this is organics part one Ladies what and gentlemen, what, from the what, depths of what, Stony what, Island, what, we what, present what, to what, you what had happened what, was season what, what, four. What happened was season four. Fantastic like Secret Wars. Quest love with the stories, got them leaning for. It's what the hardcore feeling for. And now I'm covering you the scene before. We break it down, you can reabsorb. Bring it around like a meteor. We get it moving like a stevedore. Beat the podcast, lead the boards. The straight hands, it's a perfect score. We're not your chips out the circuit board. We're here to help with what you're searching for. To inspire what you're working towards. A little closer than you were before. Updated software version for such and such and furthermore. It's like this. Ladies and gentlemen. This is Open Mike Eagle, welcoming you to season four. What it happened was, with the 
one and only Quest Love. We'll get back into it in one second, but I need to take a quick moment and shout out our sponsor, DistroKid. Man, so many of my homies use DistroKid. It's a music distribution service that makes distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to put their music on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. A million plus artists, and I swear I know at least 100 of them. And now DistroKid has an app. You can use the app to upload new releases, see your DistroKid bank, and get notified when you've earned royalties. You can even check your streaming stats live. The DistroKid app is now available on iOS. Go to the App Store and download it. DistroKid also has a new feature called Instant Share that allows you to easily share large files securely with collaborators, producers, booking agents, managers, playlist curators, and more. Basically, anybody that needs access to your music, there's an easy way to upload it and send them a link. Go to distrokid.com slash instant share, drag and drop your files to upload, and then you can copy and send your link right there. It's free to send one gigabyte of files. That's like 100 MP3s. Don't quote me on that. Go to distrokid.com slash open mic. That's distrokid.com slash open mic. O-P-E-N-M-I-K-E for 30% off your membership. The day after The Wrath of Cain came out by Big Daddy Cain, mm-hmm. then Tariq became... Um, he gave me some title I didn't want, like divine. I was like <laughs> divine technician on the drumsticks, and I was like, "That is a, how do you wait? I gotta spell that like that's my name." But his was all right. <laughs> his name it was what was the acronym? He was um he was Hawk Smooth. Hawks Smooth. Hawk Smooth because that's when at the beginning of uh uh Rafa King he's like giving a shout out Hawk Smooth like he's naming like his whole crew. Hawks Move stood for Hype African. <laughs> Wait, even your whole crew's laughing. Hype. Hype African War. No. Come on, man. Come on, man. I'm sorry to read, man. I'm sorry, man. Oh, yeah. He gonna, we gonna have to talk to Rick about Hawks Move. Hype African Warrior. Kicking it smooth. Come on. <laughs> and our name was Black to the Future. Okay. So Black we to the Black Future. Black to the Future. I actually, and the thing was, Tariq would also uh, conceptualize our logo because he was an art guy. Right. So I really like Black to the Future. Yeah, Black to the Future is dope. And then Three Feet High and Rising came out. Uh-huh. And then suddenly, like, what was what was so game changing about Three Feet High and Rising was all bullying and like you can't be an alt black kid. Like I would walk the streets with like, like my mom was like fashion hip. Right. You know what I'm saying? So like I had holes in my jeans, walking through the hood. I'd have paint on my pants. Mm-hmm. You know, your mom let you put all that paint on you, like. Like, why would you wear, a, why would you waste a pair of, like, you know, good play clothes? You know, why would you do that to, I was that kid that just 
looked different than any other kid. You know what I'm saying? So suddenly, I'll say two months into Yo TV raps when um De La Soul is really becoming part of, of, of the fiber of hip hop. Yeah. Then suddenly all those bullies on my block were like, oh, okay. You you like them De La Soul kids, right? right? They see what tribe you belong to. Okay. Ah, oh, damn. They all right, you cool, man. I, I see what you and suddenly I'm like, damn, I don't I don't have to figure out like an alternative route to get toilet paper. And, <laughs> like I was that kid, like literally every day, like Amir, go to Amir, go to the store is one of the most terrorizing, terrifying things that you could ever say to me. Cause literally it's like you open the door and you're looking <laughs> left and right, and it's Chancey and Charles, the bullies over there, and you like running and creeping under like it was like Vietnam. And suddenly, <laughs> and suddenly, like I became cool again. And so even in school, like Tariq. I was like, what the hell is that? Like, why you look like Angel Mama? I'm just like, this is a do-rag. Like, people were do-rags. He just, him and the cool, the, like, the, the thugged out dudes was just like, wait, you, you wear different socks? And, you know, like, mm -hmm. I was just always that person. So we kind of, when De La Soul came out, Tariq started to morph, like, my, the Amir effect was suddenly wearing mm -hmm. off on Tariq. And... He was like, yo, man, we got to change the name, man. We got to be Square Roots. And I was like, all right, cool. And he was like, and my name is Black Thought. And I was like, good, because I do not want to be Divine Technician on the drums. <laughs> I said, matter of fact, I don't want to be anything. And we just had a list of names of everything. And he had one big giant question mark there because it's sort of like, I don't know, that could be a name like that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, <laughs> that's the name I want. So, because the thing was, I I knew then that whatever name is chosen, it's going to be dated the second. It's like buying a car. So like you pick it, losing value. Right. And so, I wanted to be just nothing. Like, and, but the problem was, eventually, once we got a record deal, um, doing all the interviews, especially in the European press, do yeah, the European yeah. press, and they were like, so, uh, so, Mark, would you like, to? I was like, wait, why are you uh, calling me Mark? You question Mark? Right, and they are like, <laughs> so, 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 question Mark? And I was like, no, I'm just, and it's, I don't get it. And then it was like, all right, so then when when Do You Want More came, then I I did my version of Hype, African Warrior, Kicking the Smooth. <laughs> B-R-O. Right, I was like, <laughs> most pretentious, I was like, I'll be brother question. So I was like, beat recycler of the rhythm question. I had that written down. <laughs> but then, but then the press was like, brother? And I was like, ah, uh, damn. Oh, they were, okay, they were putting the question mark with it. Yeah. And then so thinking that you, like, brother? So, brother? Right. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, no. So then finally by Illadelph Half-Life, um, I was just like, I got to go old school. So Questy. Quest Rock or uh -huh. Quest Love. Mm. And there was a kid in school. He was like the coolest kid. Like he had all the fresh Benetton gear and all that stuff. And his name was William Love. And like the girls liked William Love. So they would actually say his whole name like, William Love. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, I got to be Quest Love. And pro also probably because I overdosed on De La Soul is Dead and them calling themselves like, you know, Pass Love, Mace Love, Duff, like that sort of thing. I was like, and run love and buff love from the fat boys. So I was like, all right, let me be love. And then finally I found a home. But um, what happens with us is uh, I have an audition for Juilliard. I have an audition. What year is this? This is 
This is 1992. Okay, 92. So my gap year is now about to turn into its second year. Because mm-hmm. the thing is, the insurance job is paying awesomely. And, you know, I'm now like making, even though I'm making more with my father, my father's activity is sort of slowing down in the 90s. Like, it's hard to find people that want to hear 50s music. Right. Because now they want 70s music. Right. Now that's come back around. Right. So my insurance job is sort of sustaining my then lifestyle of living off of like, you know, kind of like $1,000 a week, which I'm only spending on records. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So what happens is um, I have an audition for um, Juilliard and I'm taking a train up there. Tariq's going with me. I have a friend that also lives there that that, uh, goes to the school and he's going to let me crash at the apartment. So here's the, the one fact I forgot to mention, which is my schoolmates, uh, a group named Boys to Men, finally started popping maybe like six months before. Mm-hmm. And they shoot a video for their debut single, Motown Philly. And they asked me to drum in the video. And I get all of a two-minute, a 2.3, yeah, so why do I know the exact decimal point? Like a 2.3-second cameo in that video. Um, And I just milked the shit out of that moment. (laughs) It was to the point where, like, you know, I had a special uh, art shirt with a peace sign on it and all that stuff, and I wore uh, Oshkosh Bagas with, like, paint on it. Mm -hmm. And it was to the point where, like, every weekend when Tariq and I would hang out, I'd be like, all right, I'm ready to go. And Tariq be like, nah, man. I was like, come on, man. It's in the dirty pile. Come on, dog. You know the <laughs> drill. Go ahead, man. Change your clothes. So every weekend, I would have to go upstairs and put on the Motown Philly outfit wow. with, with, the, with the painted shirt and that stuff. And we would just walk down South Street, walk up South Street, and, you know, collect this Jones number, collect that girl's number. All right, let's... Let's go do a tour at the gallery mall, the same mall Will Smith mentions, and, you know, walk there, walk back. And so I had localized notoriety as the Motown Philly drummer. Not to mention, you know, at that period of being a Philadelphian, rocking your hair in plaits and twists was totally new and kind of like some radical, like, you have snakes in your head, boy. Like now, it's just, <laughs> right, 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 right. Like you look very normal now, but back, back in 1991, it was a statement. Yeah. Like people just walk down the block, like, and that's always been me. Like, I've always had like chia pet, giant, you know, hair afro, and cried to my mom like, "I'm gonna cut my hair," whatever. And like, no, you must never cut your hair. So, Tariq and I are coming home from that audition, right? And this is straight. This is somewhere in between the Grey Poupon commercial and. The the last scene in Dumb and Dumber. Yo, the finest girl you would ever see, like slow motion. Like, think of that Wayne's World Dreamweaver moment. She's a She comes up to me and she's like, yo, aren't you? Now, here's the deal. Like, there were various videos like that at the time. Like, I could have been uh, Chocolate, who's uh, the drummer in Mariah Carey's video, The Bucket Guy, who also, she says, yo, aren't you? You're the drummer. And I was like, yeah. In the uh, the Spike Lee Levi's commercial, right? Levi's 501 different drummer. 
I just start playing the drums on a bucket. Well, I ain't have nothing else to do, so I just started banging. What were you banging on? Like tin cans. I used to play on them first. I tried a bucket one day and see it got more sound. My dumb ass was like, no, that's not me. <laughs> and she's like, oh, okay. And she walks away, and Tariq's like, dumb motherfucker, why'd you? <laughs> and I was like, well, duh, it wasn't me, man. So, like, what was I going to do? Lie to her? That wasn't me. She said, yo, man, you could have got a number. And I was like, oh, well, she thinks I'm that. Like, I totally missed that opportunity. And so the next day, so we 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 get to my parents' house. We crash uh, in the living room. The next day, Soul Train comes on, and then that commercial comes on. That Spike Lee has the the bucket drummer guy in Times Square playing buckets, and whatnot. And that was our eureka moment. Like literally, we see that commercial. Tariq still seeming about like me just letting that girl go to waste. And suddenly, we looked at the commercial, and then we looked at each other. We looked at the commercial. Yo, why don't we just do that? And I was like, yeah. Why don't we? And literally, like, I mean, I wouldn't interrupt my Soul Train activity for nothing. The addiction is strong to Soul Train. And then in a half hour, it was like, he's like, okay, I'm going to go home. I was like, I don't have no buckets, though. And I, my mom will kill me if I take the pot, and you know, the pot from the kitchen. That's our one pot. Right. And he's like... <laughs> I got you covered. His grandma was like uh, very fond of chitlins. So, plenty of buckets around. Right. Yeah. So, he's like, I'm going to run to my grandma's house and get the big giant white bucket. And then that's what we're going to do. So, literally, pew, he runs to South Philly. He's like, All right, meet me, you know, in front of the baby gap on South Street at exactly 3 30 p.m. It's like 12 something. So, sure enough, uh, I get there. He has a, a bag, he has the bucket. I have my drumsticks. And I was like, all right, we got to find a crate. I look over in the alleyway. There's a crate. And I was like, so what do we do? Just start playing. Mm -hmm. Just do what you saw in the commercial. And I started bucket drumming. And he just started freestyling. Yo, I flip suspense on petroleum because I'm the slicker kid tagging my name in Carlisle and Rustolium. And here's the deal. Like, instantly, someone comes like, yo, where I put the where I put the money, and we didn't think about that. So we're in front of a baby gap, and next to a baby gap is like a foot locker. So I somehow a, a, a shoebox materialized. I don't know some alleyway or whatever. So the deal is like if we're only doing twenty five dollars worth of business or thirty dollars worth of business, then Tariq and I will probably see each other on Facebook or something like. Yo, you remember that time when we? Uh, freestyled on, you know, yeah, kids, like, back in the day, I did that too. <laughs> but in four hours, we made about $110, which is like, yo, we can now, this is date night in the money. Like, we can go to Wawa, <laughs> buy a quarter pound of turkey. Like, Tariq had it all planned. Like, yo, you know, tomorrow, you know, you get your joint, I'll get my joint, and then get a blanket, and then we'll go to Wawa, we'll get uh, turkey, cheese, uh, we'll get rolls. You know, we'll steal the condiments from the dun, and, you know, we can have a picnic, and that's date night. And then, you know, if we get to the movie theater before 6 p.m., we can get to the, you know, the $3.30. Like, it's date night, and we have enough money for a trans pass to... And I was like, yo, we're rich. We're rich. Now, mind you, I, I sell insurance making like a thousand something a week, but right. this to me is like, oh, we're definitely doing this shit again next week. 
And so then we do it next week. And what's different is uh, by the third week, I'm still in some sort of jazz program mm-hmm. while I'm trying to pay for college, which I've yet to, you know, get into. I'm definitely going to go starting in, ni- in late 93. Um, and a friend of mine, Josh Abrams, who's in this, uh, this uh, jazz program with me, he hears about like, so I hear like, you guys are busking on the streets and all that stuff. Like, yeah, man, we're doing that. And so what winds up happening is he's like, yo, so y'all going to do it again next week? I was like, yeah, we're going to do it. He's like, can I come? I said, sure. So he picks me up and I see his upright bass in the back and I get the bucket and stuff. He's like, well, yo, I got the station wagon. I was like, what are you saying? He's like, bring your real drums out. And I was like, oh man, my dad's going to kill me, man. I don't, I don't think I could do that. He's like, well, isn't your dad away for... Okay. All right. And it's like, make sure my mom's upstairs, whatever, and I put the bucket back and I'm like sneaking the stuff to the car. <laughs> so we set up on South Street and basically... This is uh, the next week. Or this is three weeks later. Three weeks, so three weeks later. the only way I can mark the, the occasion is whenever the Greek picnic weekend is in Philadelphia is two weeks after that in night the summer of 1992 and that's when the roots as you know it truly comes alive this is square roots still then though we were square roots uh we had to change the name eventually because there was a philadelphia band who had registered the name square roots and they were super litigious like you guys can't ever stop you know we see flyers with square roots and that's you know they just had the copyright name but they really weren't active like that um so what will wind up happening is now that I'm playing real drums and he's playing upright bass, and mind you, it's 1992. So even though we're not writing, like we have yet to write a song, and my idea of like music is whatever the Bomb Squad is doing, which is like, it's just, let me take 17 samples and crush them all together. And there's no melody, sense of melody, whatever. It's just like real avant-garde sounding. Um, but now we're in a place where like it's 1992. So, like, my bass player, Josh, is like, let's just do all the low-end theory. So, he just starts with, do, 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 and Tariq's rhyming to that. And then, like, we literally went through every cut on the low-end theory, which is basically drums and upright bass. And then, by week number four, Josh has, like, a repertoire. Like, any song that ever had upright bass, be it, like, Double X Posse's not going to be able to do it. Not going to be able to do it. I thought he was saying knocking on the edge of the door. <laughs> Can you do it? Knock, knock on, on the edge of the door. Right. <laughs> nah, baby, I'm not gonna be able to do it. So you know, all, all the digging in the crates, like all the post, all the post, uh, you know, native tongue group like Showbiz and AG, like all those groups that are now going through their blue note jazzy records right. to make up stuff. You know, suddenly we have like a strong two hours of music repertoire. And the thing is, Tariq, I mean, we we don't know anything about the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour thing. But what he's doing, he's just literally stretching his his vocabulary muscle, 
what was key to that was uh, there was a rapper signed to, uh, to Epic Records back in 92. His name was Han Sol. Exactly how good it could be. You, me, the birds and the bees, the flowers and the trees, and all that good stuff. I'ma be honest, I can't get enough. And Han Soul had crazy curly hair, uh, sort of native tongue-ish, like alt, alt rapper, whatever. Um, he had a song called Imagination. He was a local Philly rapper, and he kind of took a liking to us, like, okay, I'm gonna mentor you guys, whatever. Like he had a one little, like, little local hit that was like kicking on radio, and he uh took us around to like to a show that he was doing and you know it was a big deal like he was like playing us the new like this is a group called Cypress Hill y'all should check this out me and Tariq in the back like oh my god this mm. this guy sounds like King at Rock but black like from the Beastie like it, it was like that sort of experience on the way home Han Sol decides that he's gonna freestyle the entire from leaving the club until he drops us off and me and Tariq was like that's the level of excellence I got to get to. So having that experience with Han Sol made Tariq like a, a, a vocabulary monster. Because in his mind, and there was also like an, there was, there was a, a, an article in the source because Cypress Hill uh, recorded on Rough House Records, which was a Philly label. Incidentally, I interned there also that year. And, um, you know, even though Be Real meant like Philly was boring, they were the source was asking, like, so you guys flew to Philadelphia to record this record. Like, what was the experience like? And, you know, Be Real was like, man, Philly's whack, yo. Mm. But I know what he meant. Like, I knew the hotel they were staying at. I know, like, they were just part of town. They were yeah, holiday in yeah. on a boring street and go straight to the studio, not knowing anyone there to show them around. So, yeah, I would say too that Philly's whack, but. You know, we kind of took that as like, oh, they think we're whack. And plus, like, what was hitting at Philly at the time was sort of like the post-drug dealer rapper. Steady B, Cool C. Now, we idolized three times dope, so they weren't too corny. And But the only, like, cat that they would hang with, like, Kwame was always in Philadelphia mm -hmm. every weekend, hanging with three times dope and, you know, that crew. But... For the most part, if you're a rapper in Philly, um, Jeff and Will, or you're steady being Cool C. I mean, and because Schooly D was before that anyway, right? He was, but, you know, after after Saturday night, the record, you know, it, things kind of waned off creatively, so it wasn't, you know, like, after Parkside, like, after his second record, things kind of waned off, so... Um, you know, in our mind, we were like, in order for us to make a mark... We got to be better than all these, like, drug dealer-looking rappers from Philly. But, you know, we got to be on par with the people that we idolize. So, like, the excellence of De La Soul, the excellence of A Tribe Called Quest. Like, we have to out-rhyme them, out-strategize. Like, we, the, in order for us to even get half of a chance, we got to be, like, four times as, as good or as hungry. So that's kind of the mentality we had. So pretty much all the summer of 1992 was basically on, on weekends that my dad wasn't having a gig. We would start uh, on South Street around one in the afternoon, go to like 4 p.m. And between that three-hour period, there's going to be um, 
a head rap sister, like, peace, brothers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it always starts with that. And we got five colleges in Philly. Right. So, like, yeah, I, 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 I'm with the uh, the poetry center from Drexel University. And uh, we were like, y'all to come. To, do you guys have a card or anything? Mm-hmm. So, by that point, each week, like, someone else is latching on, like, you know, our version of Project Bloat or our version of Native Tongues, like, you know, they're gravitating towards us. And there was someone that was going to play the role of manager. Um, you know, she comes in and play, takes cards and whatnot. So it's always guaranteed that we're going to do a coffee shop, a, a black boho coffee shop experience. And there's all there's going to be a chance that we're going to do... Uh, there's always some guy that's sort of like, yeah, I don't like rap music, but I like you guys. <laughs> and so suddenly we're asked to play like J.C. Dobbs. Like, this is the place where, like, Nirvana will give their first show. So mm. there's this, like, white club culture on South Street that is absolutely closed to any other rapper in Philly. But, you know, you guys seem safe enough to, you know, come to our spot. And I mean, it's the image and probably the fact that y'all are playing instruments, too. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't like rap, but I like you guys. So that was kind of like, it was guaranteed that we will get four types of gigs in the week during the weekday. Like, so Wednesday, we got to go to Temple University. And then Friday, we got to do J.C. Dobbs. And then, you know... But the, always on the weekend, coming back to South Street. Always, when, when, yeah. As long as you're that, dead. That's how we get that, our, our work. And so the very last week, our version of Stretch Armstrong and Bob Beto, A.J. Shine. Mr. Simmons, a.k.a. A.J. Shine, the dollar sign, funky fitness. So A.J. Shine hears about this group that knows how to play live breakbeats and the drummer sounds like a like a, a breakbeat and the rapper knows how to freestyle his ass off. And so we're getting our first invite into regular Philadelphia hip-hop community. Real quick, though, as you are getting these shows on the weekend and doing them during the week, is it just you and Tariq or is it the bass player too or how's, how's the personnel thing happening? So right now, um, we've sort of gathered what we will now call, our first click was called the Foreign Objects. From the roots sprout the Foreign Objects family tree. This is mad abstract. All the way live from Philly, we got the hip-hop coalition called the Foreign Objects in effect. It's like that. All right, so there was a period where Tariq got kicked out of performing arts. His last two years, he had to go to Germantown High School. And it's at Germantown High School where, like, uh, this other kid, uh, Kenyatta Bell, a.k.a. Kid Crumbs, becomes, like, the fife to his Q-tip, gotcha. like his, his crony. Um, and for me, like, you know, Josh and I, so I guess you could say that the, the square roots were a foursome. Um, and the last week of summer, before September, Josh is basically like, well... You know, I can't do it anymore after this because I got to go to Northwest University in Chicago. Mm. And so I'm like, damn, there's no more bass player and there's no more uh, station wagon. So I don't know. Is this the end? On top of that, Tariq uh, is going to Millersville University, which is very crucial to our development. Um, So my mind, I'm just thinking like, okay, well, that was a fun 1992. Mm. And I guess now... I got to figure out, you know, how to hustle and grind to to get into college or whatever. And this is what happens. Uh, we get an invite to play a strip club 
called the Princess Lounge in North Phil- no, North, N-O-R-F, North Philadelphia. Mm. And I was like, wait, the Princess Lounge up in North Philadelphia? And I'm like, dude, I'm wearing Birkenstocks. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this is going to work, yo. <laughs> and so, with slight trepidation, we're like showing up, you know, with with uh, our bags of popcorn, and like, because now we have a thing. Like, we we started to develop a song called "Pass the Popcorn." The first verse is "What I Pass the Popcorn." It looks like a number one coming around. It looks like a number one coming around. It looks like a number one coming around. So now we're taking like five bucks and sending someone in the store to buy these big giant bags of popcorn that we'll throw in the audience. But you know, so we're like walking through the strip club with all these other rappers and they're just looking at us like it's like the me myself and I video like right. who are these guys like whatever <laughs> so total underestimation and they're like all right coming up next uh yeah I heard a lot about these guys so yeah uh, give it up you know for the roots and be like <laughs> <laughs> and um something to, like what what came out oh you know what it was so in God we trust by brand new being second album yeah, had just uh, came out and uh, punched up up to be down was like the, the single of the summer. Yeah. Diamond D had did a remix to it, which was mostly all upright bass. That's and we want the Rocky sample. Do, think, do, right? Do. right, right, oh. right. Well, the version we know is the 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 Isley Brothers. It's just, da, 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 da. But there's a remix that's just all upright bass that Diamond D did. And we we had mastered it. Now it's to the uh, point where like we're listening to radio and whatever is, you know, so I was like, all right, we're gonna go Diamond D bass font for brand newbian and then go right into bugging out by Tribe Called Quest and da 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 da. And literally five seconds in, their jaws just dropped like because it was just the novelty of seeing someone create with their hands in real time what they're used to a record or Sounding like right that. and i wasn't like these drummers that are like overplaying and doing like bunch of gospel job yeah. right i'm sounding just like the breakbeat like and it's just three drums like we look like the fat albert <laughs> the junkyard like band. The junkyard band like so there, there's an appeal to the struggle look of this group and Tariq's rhyming his ass off, like, sitting in the princess lounge, and people are like, damn, like, high-fiving each other and all that stuff. So at the end of the night, the host of the show, he's like, yo, I'm AJ Shine. I'm like, you're AJ Shine? Oh, my God. Like, we, he is the Bobito and the Stretch Armstrong, I see. you know, of Philadelphia. The, the underground DJ. Curator. Yeah, because yeah. Philly radio was more like, you know, more music, less rap. Playing the best songs and no rap. Now in stereo on AM and FM. WWIN is back, playing the best songs and no rap. Now in stereo on AM and FM. WWIN. So there was no place to listen. Drexel University had like one of the one of that was the source for which we could get our hip hop fix. And it was on Sundays from like one in the afternoon to four, and you recorded, you know, oh yo, the scenario remix. And like mm -hmm. that's how we got our feel for what was hip. And he was like, yo, like, you know, 
I want to do something more with y'all. And I'm just like, well, what you talking? And he says, like, yo, like, I just came into some money. I think, like, he had an accident or something like that and settlement money, whatever. And he's like, yo, I want to get y'all in the studio. I'm like, us? In the studio? And now it's like, wait a minute. We we had a talk that night, and it's like, okay, so what do we do? And Tariq's like, I'm not going back to Millsville. Like, mm. I'm going to pursue this. And I was like, well, damn, if you're not going to go to college, like, how, how am I going to tell my dad? And I was like, I just decided I'm not going to tell my dad. I'm not going to go to to Curtis or Juilliard. I'm going to go and pursue this dream. He thinks that's what I'm going to do. He thinks like I'm getting up every day, going to work my insurance job and have money saved up in the bank. But nah, I'm, I'm going to do this. My dad didn't find out about the roots. I successfully hid it from him until Do You Want More came out. Well, I'm a fly Philly nigga, finger on the trigger, MCs repent from sins, God's coming again, original, what vision every individual, original, what vision every individual, I proceed, as I give you what you need, like I'm a medical Because I couldn't hide it, like, you know, local Philly rappers, like in the Sunday paper, and he's like, uh, what's this? <laughs> Is this you? <laughs> uh, I think so. <laughs> Is it that Hoodlum Tariq? That's who you hang out with? Like, and it was like, yeah, you know, uh, and literally, like, he found out the the night that um, if you have Do You Want More, that version of Say What Man that's live in performance. It's the roots. Now what we want you all to do is sit back, yo, and just relax, yo. That was our signing party. So wow. I had already let a year and a half go by. He knew nothing about the roots. And, you know, I, I had a record deal. I had an advance. We have recorded the record. And then it was like, hey, dad, uh, we have a signing party. Signing party for what? Well, you know, I have a group. And uh, and that's how we found out. But um, what winds up happening is he introduces us to his partner. So not only is he the local hip-hop radio show DJ, but he also has time on public access channel for Drexel, and he records a show called The Avenue, which is like his version of... Um, Ralph McDaniels. Ralph, yeah, he, he's also the box. Ralph McDaniels of Philadelphia. And him and his partner, the partner that does the camera, is a gentleman by the name of Richard Nichols. So Richard Nichols is his camera guy, and their proposition is like, well, we want to be the record label and do business, but they eventually wind up being the management. And we go into the studio, and the night before the studio, whatever night we went in the studio was the night that Cool Like That by Diggable Planets came out. And that totally just blew my mind. Like, yo, this is this is the group that I think we should sound like. But the thing was, is that when we were going to the studio, I was getting my records and my samples ready. And when I got to the studio, they were like, wait, what are you doing with the records? I was like, we're going to make a song, right? He's like, no. What I saw y'all do in the nightclub, do that. that's what y'all should do. And that became like a, a heavily heated, contested, like, debate. Like, nah, man. Like, because in my mind, I wanted to be like, I wanted to bomb squad meets yeah. native tongues. Like, I was, I was ready. Good example. Uh, if, if you remember uh, leaders in the new schools, like, selling to the Zekers. It's the sounds of the Zekers. Oh, golly gee, bumblebee, ring around the rosy, a pocket full of hosey to hip, 
Like where the music's changing every three every, seconds. Every yeah. Yo, that's that's the thing. I was like, I wanted to show off my mental intelligence of of samples and all that stuff. And now you're like, oh man, I I, I got to be the drum in the studio too. Mm. So I like begrudgingly was like, all right, well, let me just do this. Well, Rich's job is he's the world's greatest Jedi mind trick <laughs> human ever, and his whole thing. And this to this day, like, I mean, he's he's gone from us, but. His thing was always like, yo, let's just A, B it. Like, all right, we'll do it your way. But, I mean, just for now, can can we just do this real quick? And then we'll do it your way? No one going well that we ain't going to do it that. gets back to <laughs> Right. So then now it's like we never wrote a song together in the studio. So I don't – so I'm like, well, our whole song catalog is based on – tribe and native tongues and whoever uses upright bass. Like, we never wrote an original song in our life. So, just like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And just with, like, seconds left on the clock, um, I happened to be listening to Steve Ferrone and Alan Gorey's uh, bass and drum solo on the 18-minute version of the average white band's Pick Up the Pieces. That's sort of the song I had in my head. So I played it for Josh, and I was like, yo, just do this bass line in a whole different key, and then that'll be past the popcorn. We get in the studio, and we do pass the popcorn, and we literally had that song done in about... 50 minutes. You know, they, they had like six hours blocked out. And we did that song. And then they were like, well, what else what you else? got? Yeah. I was like, shit. <laughs> um, and then I, I had a copy of uh, James Brown's uh, The Payback Out. So I played Josh Stone to the Bone. I was like, learn this. Okay, we got it. Rolling. And then we knocked out Anti-Circle in a half hour. You on the Anti-Circle. On the mad train like a rain. That's purple out storm. Never coming twice in one form. The black act a fool and I'm gone. Crumbs busted. Pass the popcorn. And then they're like, well, what else you got? And I was just running out of ideas. And then I was like, uh, oh, uh, jazz class. So we would do a version of uh, Night in Tunisia. I was like, uh, let's let's do a remix to Pass the Popcorn or whatever. So then we knock that out. Yo, I wrote this basement, never, never tunnel type portion. Just to accompany some audio distortion. Bust the popcorn, dropping off my cassette. And yo, crumbs, I'm how you feel. I hope it's blessed, man. Dig the square roots, be the setters of examples. Finding mad rhythm in the static of your samples. Make to make your move to my groove as I soothe. First session. First session. Like, that's the thing. And then they were like, dog, like the average rap song takes about eight hours to construct. Like, because we don't know how to operate the samplers. So you got to like play the record for the engineer and, and he has it. to figure it out. So if we were to make a traditional rap record where you don't know how to make beats, 
then you're at the mercy of the speed of the engineers' quickness to put stuff together. And they're like, dude, y'all knocked out three songs in like two hours. Why would you ever, ever, ever want to go back? So we just basically started mixing it. And I'm like observing uh, Otto, our engineer, and he's like fattening things up or whatever. And we went home that night with three songs. (laughs) 